True North, finding our way in a world that has so often lost its way. And remember, lost things are loved things. Lost individuals are loved individuals by God, the creator of all things. I stand before you each week addressing us as the children of God. The very household of God coming together to what is a, for what is effectively a family meeting. We remind one another the truth of the gospel so that we can leave here and engage each whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anytime, anywhere, with anybody. So please understand that by and large, I am addressing you as people who have signed up to live as Jesus would have us live. If you are here with us today and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, hear me when I say we don't expect you to live as a follower of Jesus would live as Jesus did. Too often these days, Christians are identifiable because we are the ones yelling about how everyone else should be living. We see ourselves as the morality police, and yet no one has given us a badge. It's not what our job is. Russell Moore says Christianity thrives when it is clearest about what distinguishes it from the outside culture. Clarity about the way things should be comes not by what we say as much as it comes by what we do. I was listening to N.T. Wright this week teach about the gospel, and he was describing the early church in this lesson he was offering. He said communities, in communities around the time of the early church, Christians were extremely welcome citizens because they were kind. They were hospitable. They helped take care of the community. They stood out by how they lived their lives. They, they stood out by what they lived for. And too often today, we stand out because we declare so loudly what we are against. There's no particular place, I believe, where this is more evident than in discussions around gender and sexuality. It has been made perfectly clear far too often by far too many exactly what we are against. But if we remember what I tried to outline last week about our relationships with one another within the church, extending out from the church, we as Christians must understand first and foremost what our identity is. Our identity is that we are in Christ. That is who we are. From there, we are to be kind. Get this. To everyone. There is nobody you have ever looked into the eyes of who is not loved by God and whom you should not be kind to. Exceedingly kind as one whose identity is in Christ. From our kindness... We build, begin and build relationships with one another. First and foremost, in our 
families here. And then extending out from here. And then we hold one another accountable. Which is no less important than any other part of this progression. I would argue more important. But it has a proper sequence. So I ask us today, and I am talking to me, that we must quit making declarations about what we are against. Quit posting on social media things that let people know exactly where you are drawing lines. We draw lines in here. Draw lines on our internal Facebook page or whatever social medium you were on. Draw lines within our community. Because the Holy Spirit that lives in us, as our text will tell us today, it is the drawer of lines. It is the morality police. The Holy Spirit has the badge. The only one with the badge. Please stop acting like we expect people who do not know Jesus to live like they know Jesus. It makes no sense. Especially when those of us who do know Jesus have such a hard time living like him. Now, there are lots of angles that I could have taken today to preach this sermon, which I do not want to preach. About what sexual beings can and should look like. I've chosen for us to be in 1 Corinthians 6. And I've chosen to talk about what sex is for. So if you will turn with me to the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians. I was listening recently to Kevin Bacon in an interview who people have told me from time to time in my life that I look like him. I don't see it, but whatever. Apollo 13 was an incredible movie that made me cry tears 20 years ago or so when I watched it. He was in that movie with um, the late Bill Paxton, I believe, and Tom Hanks was in that movie. And Kevin was talking about the filming of that movie, and he was talking about what they did to actually film the scenes in which they were in space. And what they would do is they would take these plane trips and these airplanes that flew in the... I don't know much about this. I'm just reiterating what I Googled and I'm saying it back to you. But these planes that fly in these parabolas really fast. And the way the arc of the plane trip goes, it allows for about 45 seconds of zero gravity time in these flights where they would quickly film the scenes where the guys were, were floating around. So those didn't actually occur in space. They occurred in the sky in a plane in about 45-second windows of zero gravity. And what this plane gets nicknamed is the Vomit Comet. Because nausea is so prevalent, and Kevin was, Bacon was saying how sick Tom Hanks got on several days. And I, just, I think Tom Hanks is great, and so I thought it was funny to hear, to hear that. Not because I want Tom Hanks to be nauseous, it's just... Anyway. <laughs> so we were in preaching team meeting this week. The reason I'm telling you this, which has nothing to do with the sermon, but we preaching team this week, and Mike Glenn started telling us an illustration that stuck with me that I want to use. He started talking about gravity and the importance of the gravitational pull on us. Because weightlessness, hear this, causes several key systems of the body to relax as it is no longer fighting the pull of gravity. So astronauts' sense of up and down gets really confused when they are weightless. 
NASA said, because the vestibular system no longer can figure out where the ground and the ceiling are. It's fascinating. Weightlessness can also cause a disruption in one's proprioceptive system, which tells where arms, legs, and other parts of the body are oriented relative to each other. One astronaut said, the first night in space when I was drifting off to sleep, I suddenly realized I'd lost track of my arms and legs. For all my mind can tell, my limbs were not even there. That's crazy. And astronauts who are in space for weeks or months can run into trouble. Calcium in their bones can secrete um, out through urine as the bones weaken. Astronauts are more susceptible to breaking bones as if they have osteoporosis. In some cases, genetic makeup even shifts in people. All this to say, it is pretty clear that we are made to have gravity upon us. We need gravity. It is a boundary we are clearly made to live within. Okay? Fair enough? To the text. Starting in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 6. This is Paul writing to his buddies in Corinth. And I mean that too. These are his friends. These are people that he has gotten to know, preached to, gone away, and now he's writing back to them quite scathingly because they're really missing the boat. So that's a little bit of context. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is, is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God's, God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. We live in a hyper-sexualized world. We cannot escape the images, the slogans, the commercials, etc. that portray sex as the most normal thing. It is seemingly available anywhere, anytime. So it is vital that a part of our truth-telling amongst one another, a part of our accountability process amongst one another, a part of our coming together to remind one another of the gospel is to tell the truth about sex and God's intention for it. Now, all Scripture comes from a real point in life. That's why I'm telling you that Paul's writing to his buddies. And he is encouraging the Corinthians here, much like we should encourage and we should exhort one another. And the poor Corinthians are giving Paul fits. See, Corinth was a seaport with everything the world had to offer. Idols abounded and the opportunity for upward mobility, it taunted everyone living there. It taunted every Christian and it put pressure 
on their morality. And Paul was a huge proponent. If you've read his letters, if you've studied Paul's understanding of the gospel and the way he portrayed who Jesus was and is and is to come to the world, Paul was a huge proponent of freedom. He wanted us to understand the freedom that we have in Christ. We just sang about it. He wanted Christians who so often felt oppressed in their lives to understand that they were, in fact, in Christ free. He likely preached this sermon in a variety of different ways when he was with the Corinthians. But they misinterpreted what he meant. See, the Corinthians believed that the Corinthians as a whole, not just the Christian community there, but as a whole, the Corinthians believed in this Gnostic ideal of the separation of the body and the soul. They had this warped idea that their souls are all that matter and the bodies do not matter. So they can live however they please. It's how they misunderstood Paul's lessons on freedom. We can do whatever we want with our bodies because they're going to be thrown away Anyway, Now, this is a really good example, a first century example, of how we can rationalize so easily the blending of secularism with what Jesus calls us to. We still do that today in so many different ways. In the world and also of the world. Instead of in the world, yet not of the world. In the world and peculiar. Too often Christians are in the world and looking like the world. That's what's going on in Corinth here. So Paul says in verse 12, everything is permissible for me. Calling attention to that freedom that he so often preached, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You see, freedom may masquerade as us being allowed to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. But it is really, freedom really is living within boundaries that have been set by God and being content living in those boundaries. And not just contentedness within those boundaries, but this understanding that can only come through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, that this is actually the better way to live. To live into how I was made to live. I'm going to live within these boundaries because it's actually more desirable, better for me. Even though it's nothing like the world is telling me to live. I'm going to choose this. But I'm not going to be mean about it. And I'm not going to expect people who don't know Jesus to, to agree with me. Until they know Jesus. Galatians 5.13 Paul says, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. See, we are called to be beholden to a grander reality. And when we are not, we become enslaved to our carnal desires. It's no different in the 16th century when John Calvin said this. We are God's. Let us therefore live for him and die for him. We are gods. We're not gods. We, are, we belong to God. Let's get that clear. That could be very confusing in the podcast. <laughs> Gosh. Let all the parts of our life accordingly strive toward him as our only lawful goal. To be a physical and sexual being is to be given great power. And it allows for powerful union with other 
humans. And we have a huge responsibility in this, y'all. We are given life to live in our bodies and express sexuality only in ways that honor God. Only in ways that build up our communities. That's what these family meetings are for. To help us live as God has called us to live. And Paul says the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So whatever idea you might have gleaned from modernity or even all the way back to first century Gnosticism, I don't know how we gleaned it and how we came to believe it so fervently, but whatever it is in you that, that might believe that we are only here for a short time and our bodies don't matter and only our souls do, that is not scriptural. That is not Paul's understanding of what's going on here. Your lives matter so much. Your bodies matter. What we do with the time that God has given us matters. And I gotta say, it's made it a lot, when I've started understanding that, it made it a lot easier for me to be, to, to, to talk about my faith, to ask people to sign up for what I believed in, that today matters, that eternal life, yes, it's about forever and ever with God in heaven, but it's also about right now that heaven has begun because this matters. The kingdom is coming and things are already beginning to be turned the way God would have them be. And he's called us to be the bearers of that through the Holy Spirit that works inside of us. So when Paul says the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body, we should listen. And we should realize how important what we do with our bodies is. It is of the utmost importance. Now, I was raised in the true love waits culture, and I don't want to be disparaging about this. It was a, had incredible intentions. And it kept me actually pretty pure. I was scared for my parents to even know I liked girls. Shame completely defined my understanding of sex at a young age. I equated don't have sex outside of marriage to don't desire to have sex at all. But sex is a gift from God. It is one of God's greatest gifts, in fact. And it is so wonderful and powerful that we have a responsibility as God's children to engage in it appropriately. Solomon understood this. Proverbs 5, 15 through 17 says to drink water from your own cistern. Water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares? They should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Sex outside of marriage fails to glorify God. It glorifies ourselves. Sex outside of marriage always fails to glorify God. Paul says to flee sexual immorality. He means, quite literally, to not have sex with someone you are not married to. He is not only saying that to married men and women. He is saying that to all of us. And he is saying that the two shall become one flesh. 
Paul is saying sex is meant by God to be the full giving of one's entire self to the one to whom you belong and vice versa. Paul is saying you must never have physical oneness without whole life oneness. Nakedness together must follow becoming completely vulnerable with one another in every way. Tim Keller says it this way. You must not become physically vulnerable and hold on to your independence. You must become legally, economically, socially, emotionally, in every way committed. You must give up your independence to be engaged in a sexual relationship. We live in a world where it is completely normal to give your bodies to one another without giving your whole selves to one another. And this is becoming increasingly more and more the case. But Paul is arguing here that sex is not just for appetite and sex is not dirty. It is meant for a particular context, a context in which you have completely given yourself to the other person legally, socially, economically, emotionally, etc. And that context is not limiting or unfair. It is not true that Christians don't get to have any fun. No, what we are called to is actually in line with what is best, what is most lovely, what is actually, by God's grace, fulfilling. I'm saying this to you because I'm speaking to you as brothers and sisters in Christ. We know better than the world knows. Act like it. Your body is united to Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells in it. You're a person in whom Christ dwells. You're a person in whom Christ delights. Your body is a sacred dwelling place for God. And what you do with and in your body should therefore be oriented toward giving God glory and not glorifying ourselves. To misuse the great gift of sex is to live alternatively to how we are made. And it has devastating effects over time. Just like weightlessness. To engage in sexual immorality will rob you of your life and your identity. And when you are robbed of your identity, you, you bring peril to the sequence that is so important for us to be bearers of the good news of the gospel. When we rob ourselves of our identity, we fracture our ability to be kind and we fracture our ability to have relationship one another and we fracture our, ultimately our ability to hold one another accountable. So, can those amongst us who, who don't always get this right, who slip up, who fail, who are not pure, who indulge in sexual activity, any form with someone who they are not married to, can they still be a Christian? Of course they can. Whatever their sexual sin may be. A young minister in Virginia was telling me about a church down the street from the church he serves in. This particular church was free hardcore and they spent time from time to time weeding their membership. 
Case in point, there was a girl, a member of the church, who, according to his telling, a teenager was as wild as a March hare. She did it all. She was only about 15 or 16. And, well, it was honestly for that church an embarrassment to the church. So they met and they weeded her. They said she was not able to come to the church building, not able to sing the songs, not able to listen, not able to pray, and not able to give offering or take communion for a whole year. Suspended from church. I know for a fact that some of you in here have been made to feel like you don't belong, not necessarily here at this church, but I know that some of us have been made to feel like we don't belong in the church. And I am so sorry. Whatever made you feel like you're sitting around a bunch of people who always get it right all the time, I am so sorry. I've actually been guilty of that on too many occasions. Let those of us among us without sin cast the first stone, Jesus said. Remember, the Holy Spirit convicts our sin. We cannot force that, but we can lovingly within our Christian relationships that began with kindness and then developed into a relationship and then came to the point where we hold one another accountable. We can lovingly hold one another accountable. We can lovingly encourage one another to persistently live as Jesus would have us live, but we cannot force it. The Holy Spirit will do that. The Holy Spirit, I believe, will do that. I believe it with all my heart. It's why I accepted the call to be your pastor, because I believe that whatever it is that is separating you and you and you and you from God can be redeemed by the work of the Holy Spirit, which lives inside of us and exudes from our life to encourage one another, to to call us away from our sin, to encourage us to lovingly call one another away from our sin, not because we're afraid that God's going to get us. God already has us because when you live to glorify God, it's just better. It's just better. And we have been set apart to be Christ's body in the world. And when we love one another well, we have a chance to love the rest of the world that well. And for people to see Jesus in us. Let's pray.